0: Hi, welcome to Careers in Automotive. I'm your host, Eddie Maunder. This podcast is brought to you by Real-Time Recruitment Solutions. They specialise in recruiting into the automotive, aerospace and defence sectors for both contract and permanent roles across the UK and Europe. For more information, check out their website, www.rtrs.co.uk. And now, let's crack on with the podcast. Hi, welcome to Careers in Automotive, where today I'm joined by Fergal Harrington-Beattie, who is currently the Head of Automotive and Aerospace at Ampty Power. Thanks for joining me today, Fergal. No problem. Great to speak to you, Eddie. Brilliant. Well, where I always like to start the podcast is uh, right at the very beginning. So how did you end up in the automotive industry?
1: Yeah, so I've definitely had an interest in cars from a young age. Um, So always grew up sort of top trumps, top gear, all the kind of sort of classic things people have... Um, people of my age following the automotive industry um, always was pretty clear on wanting to do engineering so took a uh, mass physics chemistry and economics for uh, my a levels and then uh, went and studied mechanical engineering at warwick university um, and from there moved on to automotive engineering so i can give some more detail on 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 how i made that move at, at warwick
0: yeah, well, first of all, I guess um, you know, in terms of like your family background, then, like, what, what are your parent, any of your family members, parents, anybody in engineering, or was
1: it just something that that you were quite passionate about? No, not at all. So it's just a it's just a personal thing. There's no sort of heritage on on, on my side in the automotive space. It was uh, just the interest I had from a young age, like I said.
0: Yeah, it's because uh, yeah, you know, a lot of people that I'll speak to, the you know, they may be coming out of school. Not many people really know what they want to do. It sounds like you had quite a clear. Plan from uh, from sort of like later on in high school. Would that be fair to say?
1: Yeah, yeah, that is, and it, it definitely helped me in terms of obviously selecting subjects. A levels does define what you do at university and probably ultimately what you do at, as a career. So it was it, it did help that I knew from I knew from then that I could sort of pick subjects that I knew would suit that uh, later point and sort of speaking to careers advice people. That's the that's the kind of input they gave me. Brilliant. So you went to, uh,
0: to Warwick University. Uh, did you say, was it, was it mechanical engineering you studied there?
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so I applied for mechanical engineering across across five different universities. I, I had both my main pick and my reserve. Um, and yeah, I, I studied uh, mechanical engineering, just did a bachelor's. Um, I was quite keen to keen to get into industry. Um, I wasn't, wasn't a huge fan of staying on and doing academia for sort of academia's sake. And one thing I found when I was researching a lot of the schemes that I wanted to get on and looking at a lot of job requirements, I found that in automotive engineering versus something like chemical engineering, there wasn't a huge requirement for a master's, um, which definitely sort of made a a difference in my decision making.
0: So when you was at university then, was was it a case of you were exploring engineering within a lot of different industries or and um, you know automotive seemed to fit or did you did you plan on going down the automotive route while you was at university?
1: So there were automotive engineering specific courses when I when I applied but I did want to keep it a bit more open um so prior to going to university I did do an internship at BAE Systems so I did flirt with uh with the defense industry I w- I went on a on an internship there, and we were working on the sort of Eurofighter and Tornado um, programs from obviously from a distance, given sort of yeah. defence and security. But I I had a look at that, and I I think I felt a lot more like I was a cog in a machine there, and I couldn't have a lot necessarily a lot of impact, mm-hmm. which sort of then pushed me back towards automotive. So sort of never mind the ethical concerns of sort of working in defence; that uh, are pretty well known.
0: And so one thing that I did want to touch on, so you did, a you did you mentioned that you did um, a summer placement at BAE, was that before you went to university? Because I know you did one while you was at uni as well, didn't you?
1: Yeah, so I actually did one, I did one just before I went. So that was um that was a course you had to apply for, summer internship. And the idea being that um, you could, you, I could have chosen on that to go and try to seek a sponsorship through Leftbury University mm-hmm. with the idea being that you're sort of tied in then to go and work for BAE systems afterwards. And I definitely wasn't in position to do so. Um, so I, I decided to keep it open and I was fortunate. So in my mechanical engineering course at Warwick it was very open. We touched on sort of multiple parts of the industry and it gave me a taste of each one. So that when I was looking to select a position coming out of university, I had a good idea of the sort of the kind of work you've been doing is it's very industry-led course at Warwick so that was helpful.
0: And with these uh with these placements was did you apply for pl- some placements with multiple organizations just BAE and, and how hard was it to secure something like that?
1: Yeah it, it was a fair bit of effort so I'm from the northwest based up in in Lancaster and I must admit there wasn't a huge amount of choice of what's available up there it's not um it's not exactly an engineering hub. Um, so the Wharton site was pretty, pretty close to where I was based in Lancaster. So it was the only option that really aligned with what I wanted to do. There are a few other placements I could have done, but they wouldn't have been something I would have been particularly enthusiastic about. Um, so I think it was sort of a, it was a location based decision, yeah. uh, really. But well, the application process for BA is pretty intensive, especially as I said, because their defense, the Going through their security process you have to have references going back to your grandparents it's kind of <laughs> it's quite it's quite surreal but it was um yeah it was it, it was enjoy it was definitely enjoyable to be there
0: brilliant and when you went into university obviously you had a bit of hands-on experience although it was a short period with it being a summer placement did did doing those placements did it help you with the theoretical side of things um when you was at university do you think
1: so i would say the bae systems placement it was the focus was actually systems engineering and I think what that helped me with it, it made me realize that I did prefer um, sort of the the top-down view of engineering having more control over more aspects of it rather than yeah. sort of bearing down on a, a particular so let's say like part of a car I realized I was a lot more interested in how do you actually get the car from design to production which mm-hmm. is the systems engineering approach and back in 2010 when I was when I was on that internship that was fairly new systems engineering as a sort of term and as something that was offered as a course was um it it was I don't think it'd been around for many years before I was I was looking at it so it made me realize I I I prefer the holistic approach to engineering over the over the detail and I think that 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 showed in my career from where I've gone gone from since then.
0: Brilliant. And do you think uh, the placements that you did uh, while you was at university and before university, did they help you secure a role coming out of university or, or do, you, do you not think they made too much difference?
1: I think I think they helped me. They would have helped me definitely secure a role more if I decided to go with BAE, but they helped in the sense that they, I, I knew where I wanted to go and I knew what employers expected of me. So at BAE, you got an idea of the competency tests that are very common when you come out and apply for graduate schemes and a lot of the sort of team activities. So I'd say that that internship pre-uni is almost a really good test for um really good practice, almost for the kind of, the, the stuff they expect from you for those grad schemes three years later when you're looking to apply for them. So I would definitely, definitely recommend it in terms of, it was really good use of a, a week over summer. I would have, yeah, much better than sitting at home playing video games or <laughs> play, out, out playing football what or 17-year-olds do at that age, which is it was a uh, it was a good use of time for sure.
0: Brilliant and so your first role out of university then was uh, was it Potenza where you joined as a production engineer so what was the process like to secure that position was it a graduate role or, or how did it come about?
1: Yeah so that was quite interesting so Warwick um ran this scheme called the Warwick Graduate Internship Scheme so the idea being that I think it was probably schemed by the university to uh build on their um Build, build their employment figures uh, coming out of university. So obviously university is very keen to have people into roles as quickly as possible. And what they did, they linked in with Warwick alumni who own small businesses yeah. and they, they, they spoke to them and said, we've got some really good quality graduates coming out. Could you please trial them on internships? And then if successful, the idea being that you then take on full-time roles. So I actually started. I, I applied for quite a few of those. I think there was probably seven or eight I applied for at the time. I was um, put a lot of effort into those applications, because I was very keen to secure something and stay stay in the area. So um, going to Warwick University, I was based in Leamington and wanted to stay in the Midlands. By that point, I'd realised that is definitely the automotive hub of the UK, and I could see the going into automotive engineering that's where I wanted to start my career. So I was keen to keen to secure a place around there. So I I put the applications in. Um actually almost missed the email from Potenza saying that I'd been I'd been offered a place. So really? it quite, <laughs> Yeah, it, it ended up in my junk. So it was quite it's quite fortunate. I sort of did a did a proper check before before going for certain roles and then yeah, found Paul's Paul's email who's um who's um managing director at Potenza and then yeah, signed up and then then from then on it was just sort of upwards trajectory as far as as, as far as progressing through the ranks and um, careers wise so yeah
0: right. and so so the role at potenza then would that that wasn't a was that a graduate scheme as in what what you'd class as a traditional graduate scheme or was it straight in you you straight into production engineering and not really working your way around the business like a, a typical graduate would
1: yeah because so it's, it's something i probably could come on come to touch on more but working in the smes you're not of, it it comes with its its benefits and its its negatives, but I would say the definite benefit from going to somewhere like Potenza is you're you're straight in at the deep end. So, uh, larger businesses, including BAE, I would have if I'd done a, a graduate scheme there, I would have been sort of moved around all the different departments. Uh, whereas at Potenza, it was, I mean, it was it, it wasn't big enough to do something like that. You had to come and be productive as soon as you started. So. I joined there as a production engineer. It was quite a quick scheme as well. So I was immediately given work to do. So um, when I joined, they were based out of another engineering firm's facility and they were looking to set up their own production facility, which is why Paul had agreed to that scheme and was looking for a production engineer. Mm-hmm. So it almost felt like I was going into a, a senior engineering role in terms of the level of responsibility I was afforded. I would say it was more than my sort of my. University counterparts seem to be getting in their graduate roles at much bigger firms, um, so I, I would say that was that was a definite advantage of joining joining Potenza at that time.
0: So, what were your responsibilities then when you joined the business, or over the first maybe six months or so?
1: Yeah, so the what the business was looking to do is, so they had an order from an automotive firm to produce uh, do a small volume run of an electric vehicle, and they were looking to set up this facility, and I was given um Effectively, the task to project manage and deliver that setup. So that was everything from uh speaking to the people who were saying at the site. Did a bit of construction project management. Was going over there, speaking to contractors, speaking to machine builders, making sure everything was ready. I even had like the floor put in. I had three-phase power put in. Had the transformer sorted out. So literally the bare bones of setting up a small-scale yeah. electric vehicle facility. I just learned on the fly, and I. Asked Paul for his help when I needed it, but he was—he's very much the opinion that try and get do stuff, get stuff done yourself while you can, and sort of use your initiative. And I think I demonstrated that quite well. And within nine months, we were within the new facility in Coventry, and we were we were setting up doing small-scale production of packs. So it was a ultimately it was a success. um So that's that's what I managed first of all, and then once the facility was set up. It transitioned over to a more traditional production engineer role as far as overseeing um, sort of design for manufacture so Potenza had a lot of sort of smaller electric vehicle projects where we'd be asked to build some sort of 5 to 50 packs and customers would come to us with designs and I'd work on the I'd work on that with the design engineers saying this is what we can do with the equipment and then set up our Um, set up our facility, so like set up the storage for the batteries on site for lithium ion cells so obviously it's something that needs a level of quite careful management um especially when you're sort of applying for building regs and fire regs to get your facility approved by the coventry council with all this flammable equipment on site it's not something it's not something they take lightly so so that's what i did probably in the first year working at potenzo
0: and so Obviously, it was very EV focused. Was that was that a career path that appealed to you, that you wanted to go down, or was it just a case of you ended up securing the role at Pretender and, and kind of fell into that?
1: No, not at all. So um, pre pre university, I worked on an extended project qualification. So I'm not sure if they still operate them now, but it was an opera. It was an option with A levels to do. It was effectively like a mini dissertation. So I think it was to give people practice or document writing for university. And I I worked on that with a, with a science teacher in my school and I actually did um what will electric vehicles uh, when will electric vehicles reach parity with internal combustion engine vehicles. So that back in 2010, that was when the only thing Tesla had was the roadster, the mm-hmm. Nissan Leaf had just come out. So it was quite it was quite early doors. So I, I think from then on I was interested in electric vehicles and that I always knew that I didn't really want to get into the combustion engine side of automotive engineering. I I knew where the industry was going and I wanted to stick with electric vehicles. So that did help as well. And throughout my time at university, I was sort of keeping track of, of that industry
0: and so obviously you know it sounds like you had a lot of responsibility especially someone straight out of university um what was the biggest challenge for you uh in that role at potenza would you say
1: I think initially it was sort of, it, it was it was gaining gaining the respect of colleagues especially when you're working with um sort of much older sort of senior engineers and chief engineers etc you do have to prove yourself very quickly when you're thrown into a role like that there's not much room for Mistakes or taking a lot of time to learn things. So I would say that it it, it was very intensive, and there's quite a lot of quite a lot of pressure on. There was a lot of sort of sacrifice in terms of time. I was using my own car to drive all over the Midlands. I'd be, for example, there was a part we needed, and I think part of the production process we were working on failed. So I had to drive over to Birmingham to pick a piece up, and that was going into a Formula E car that was being shipped off a few days later. And it was the if I don't deliver this component. Formula recall is not gonna to go to the next race. Right. So it's the kind of the kind of pressure pressured situations you end up under both exciting but also um, definitely very challenging.
0: And so you you went, you talked about your your first year within the role then moving yeah. into the second year that you were there. Um what what was you, what did your role look like there?
1: Yeah, so that was so as I said, we set that vehicle, we set that facility up to deliver for this electric vehicle project, and then uh, it was really all around the delivery for that. So yeah. we were working on uh, with a a famous British sports car firm on delivering an electric version of one of their lightweight sports cars, and um, it was it was everything around the production of the packs for that. So it was sourcing the cells, sourcing all the components to put in the packs, getting the vehicles from that firm having them on site and then setting up the the sort of production through flow for that was was my role. It was a very difficult project as well because back in 2014 there wasn't a lot of understanding around electric vehicles and firms at the time thought that you could spend the same amount of money on an electric vehicle as you could on an internal combustion engine car and get the same result. There was no appreciation of Everyone knows that Tesla is making still making massive losses and that these firms, it's very rare, still currently to make a profit because the mm-hmm. amount of RD that's involved. And it was there was a lot of trying to manage the the customer there and, and helping them understand that there was a lot of investment required to sort of deliver deliver on that project. Um so there was I was working on CAD, I was doing a lot of uh sort of putting Gantt shots together as well. So I was definitely starting to do uh, quite a bit of project management work um as well as sort of computer aided design work. So I was using I I was using stuff from my um definitely from my university course. Mm-hmm. So I'd say the CAD work on the university course was essential. It was definitely something I needed over those first two years. Otherwise I wouldn't have been able to operate in that role. But also the the business modules I did have on that course. So WBS is Warwick business School ran a few business modules that were included in the engineering course and they definitely helped give you a wider understanding of how of how the business ran and then that helped you work as a as an engineer to have that fuller understanding of what you what you were doing and the cost that was attached to it
0: Did you have uh, anybody, I know that you mentioned the MD there, uh, but it it sounds like, you know, he was there for a bit of advice, but did you have like a mentor or anybody that you were leaning on through that time or was it pretty much pick up, run with it and figure it out yourself?
1: Yeah, exactly that. So it was, um, I think we just about had monthly reviews, but Mm. outside of that, there was no sort of like support framework or mentor or buddy or any of these things, your systems that are in place at these larger, larger firms it was um it was I w- I was working effectively directly under Paul and uh I had to had to report into him and when a lot of the time he wasn't present so I had to sort of make use my initiative make my own make my own decisions.
0: But that was uh was <laughs> quite a steep learning curve and quite tough but obviously it went really well. So um what what yeah. would you say your highlight was from your time there then?
1: I think it was delivering I think it was delivering on those projects. I think it was knowing the all that hard work when you when you saw the electric vehicles. So we used to have a lot of prototype electric vehicles running around yeah. site. And it was quite it was always quite fun once you'd put all the work in that you were able to then to drive that on the premises and see that you got it working once you dined out all the bugs. Um so it pretends our our focus outside of putting those packs together was on the battery management systems. Yeah. So it's not something I had an involvement in as far as the design because that was definitely more of a sort of controls engineer kind of role. And it wasn't something that I was, I was looking to focus in because it was very, it's very software heavy and it was it was quite specialized. Um, so it was, it was delivering for those, it was delivering those electric sports car projects. It's very exciting working on the formulary e work. Yeah. So Potenza supported a dragon racing team um, that then became Faraday future. And then I think after Faraday collapsed, went back to dragon racing and we provided um, provided parts for that team, so that was that, that. It was exciting to be involved in that and delivering for something as exciting as that race series was, was. probably a highlight there.
0: Brilliant. And so you uh, you stayed at Potenza for two years, then you moved to HSS, uh, HSSMI. Uh, I believe they're a manufacturing consultancy. Um yeah, that's right. So first of all, why did you decide to make the move?
1: Yeah. So with with the electric sports car project, as I said, the customer require. Reco- managing the customer sort of demands and expectations for for what they could get from an electric vehicle at the time at a relatively low cost was was very difficult and they ended up ultimately we did we did we started to deliver a few vehicles um as part of that as part of that production run and they were ultimately unhappy and then i think the business took a decision to to move back away from that they saw a lot of issues in that area and that they were going to have to go into a much bigger company to deliver these full vehicles and that they were going to be back to a focus on sort of one-offs and bmss and as i joined as a production engineer and that they were effectively winding back their ambitions to to any kind of volume production at least in the uk and in, in coventry that i i realized that my role was gonna transform into something else and something I probably didn't want to do. So I, I think when the writing was on the wall towards the end of that, that second year I was working there, I was already starting to sort of put my name out for, for other roles.
0: Mm-hmm. Brilliant, so um, how did you secure the role then at uh,
1: HSSMI? So I'd actually applied to HSMI and done um, actually gone through an interview process there when I was first looking for roles. So I always wanted to work in London at some point. It's just a city I really like and somewhere I wanted to be. And I had, I had applied for there in the same process when I was applying for roles at Potenza and I'd made it to the penultimate interview stage. No, sorry, the final interview stage and just hadn't, hadn't been selected. So I actually received an email from someone from HSMI um, encouraging me to apply for a, a role they had. Mm-hmm. So whilst well, so I was looking for roles anyway, um, from Potenza, I, I received that email and I saw saw the opportunity to work there and HSMI had come come along quite a bit. They'd set up at the Ahiri Centre in, um, in East London and uh, they were working on some quite impressive projects. So... Uh, and what definitely secured my role there though which is significant was my experience at at potenza so yeah. hsmi um as a manufacturing consultancy and management consultancy did a lot of work for automotive OEMs, um advising them on uh electrification so that started with a project um so hsmi span out of ford and Loughborough university um Initially as an initiative, but then became their own organization, and we're working with firms like JLR as well on their electric motor development, running these quite big government R and D projects. and And I realised that my experience at Potenza sort of made me ideal for that role because I now came with two years of quite intensive experience in the electric vehicle industry, working for a battery pack manufacturer, and that. These firms like Ford and JLR had none of that experience, and they wanted to learn about electrification and the challenges involved. So that that really helped in my in my interview for HSMI and which is why I think I I, I won the role there.
0: Brilliant! And, and your position was uh, was a technical lead. Uh, you yep, were running correct. a project for them. So, what was the objective of the project that you were running when you initially went in?
1: Yeah. So when I started, I, I again I was. Giving responsibility quite quickly. I think HSMI not being, so Potenza was about eight or 10 people when I joined and I think about 20 25 when I left. It's now, it's now grown a, a, a bit further. It's quite 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 an exciting time for them still. Um, HSMI a similar case. I think when I joined, um, 30, 40 people also grew. Um, so as a technical lead, I joined to lead the fuel cell vehicle integration project. So it was kind of uh, ideally suited to what I'd just been doing. So I'd just been yeah. working on integrating batteries into electric vehicles. And I was now given sort of the task to work with um, a company called Bramble Energy, are a spin out of UCL, University College London. Mm-hmm. They had quite a unique technology looking at manufacturing fuel cell stacks out of printed circuit boards. Um, so it was looking at integrating a fuel cell built with that technology into an electric fan to act as a range extender. Um, and that's a project I I ran when I joined HSMI, and I ran that to completion.
0: Brilliant. So um it sounds like, obviously, you, you had management responsibility from a project standpoint at Potenza. Uh, did you have a team reporting into you at Potenza at all? Or, or...
1: No, no. I, I had it tends to because of the production engineering role and because I was effectively the only production engineer on site I didn't have any direct line reports but mm-hmm. I did work closely with our with our mechanics so I often I would have to sort of lead him into tasks and and tell him what to do so there was a level of management there it wasn't mm-hmm. it, it wasn't official but um it would often it would often come through Paul or that Paul would give me a task to do something yeah. and I would say look Pauls asked me to do this so i would i would set work and set processes for him so one thing at potenza was um which definitely involved a bit of my uh, mechanical engineering experience as well was setting up the processes there yeah so as a smaller sme they didn't have much in the place of documentation so i started off their iso 9001 development Mm -hmm. um it's something they completed shortly after i shortly after i departed in the following year so that was looking at quality and uh, And that's something you do cover on the engineering course. And it was something that was, it it was quite interesting because you could see how once you got those processes in place, then it just improved the delivery so much. It meant that you could make battery packs and electric vehicles for these much larger customers. Whereas if you didn't have those processes in place, it wasn't feasible. And then it was that sort of process knowledge and project management knowledge that really helped me at HSMI with that fuel cell integration project.
0: Brilliant. And as a technical lead, there then um, a technical lead will generally either have a team of direct reports or a team reporting in as part of like a matrix structure for the project. What did you did you have a team like that for yourself, or was it a technical lead in terms of you're giving the project and you're essentially just running with it yourself? How did that work and your responsibilities?
1: Yeah, so I didn't have any direct line reports as far as within within the within the company, but then when you set the project up, you do set up sort of direct reports within that project structure yeah. so that's how it yeah I think as you've sort of described it that's how it worked so um, I was working the way HSMI uh, worked and I think still works is that they have a mixture of sort of young quite ambitious engineers who are you're looking to progress their careers but they also have a lot of part-time engineers so a lot of veterans from um, companies like Ford and CNH and that they acted as manufacturing engineers and that they would, um, they were people I could really utilize on the project. So I was able to call on them to sort of do certain aspects of the work. For example, that, that process documentation, I had a colleague who is particularly adept at doing that. And he would, he'd put together that documentation to make sure that that fuel cell integration we were doing was something that was repeatable and something that we could commercialize ultimately for the, the project which is what we wanted to do
0: so when you say these more senior like veteran engineers were part-time did you say do you mean like yeah. contractors or in a couple of days a week how did that work a couple of days a week couple yeah that's days right
1: yeah so yeah. yeah they were in they were in two days a week and it, it worked for them and it was kind of the ideal situation and i think it was something that a lot of companies would do well to sort of repeat what hsmi does because those engineers would come in and they would effectively scale up the the sort of the junior engineers and the and the younger en- engineers like myself I could sort of draw on draw on their experience and I definitely learned a lot working from them you could see you could see how they'd worked at Ford and how they'd worked at these much bigger firms where they'd been they had the badges they had the 10-year badge 20-year badge 30-year badge um, I couldn't say I'd particularly imagine ever doing that amount of time <laughs> a company myself but it was it was sort of admirable that they'd stuck there that long and And seen the level of development in sort of automotive engineering that they'd seen, Mm.
0: and obviously it sounds like you had not direct reports, but a bit of man management responsibility in terms of from a project sense. How how did you how did you find the transition into that management?
1: Well, I quite enjoyed it. I think one thing that always frustrated me at, at At Potenza was that I did have that level of, I did have to do a bit of management, but because it wasn't formalised, there was always a bit of to and froing on <laughs> yes. the classic, like, please, could you go and work on this part of the pack? And there was always a bit of feedback being like, oh, I, buy a I, I want to do this. And I was like, well, Paul's asked me. So then having a bit more of a structure mm-hmm. definitely helped. And again, at that point, I was still relatively young. So it was... Um, Again, you were always constantly having to gain, sort of gain from everyone uh, the kind of respect you needed. I think when you're sometimes older and you come into those positions, the age definitely helps. Yeah. Whereas when you're younger and more fresh faced, you've got to, um, yeah, it's 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 more of a it's more of an effort. But it was, as I said, it was worth it.
0: Yeah. And so after two years in that role, you moved into the program lead position. Uh, what was the difference in responsibilities compared to a technical lead?
1: Yeah, so that was a move, that was a proper formal move into management at that yeah. point. So I'd done quite well on the uh, on the fuel cell integration project and I'd started to lead um, aspects of uh, the APC projects. So a, b- a bit of brief background on that. So the uh, HSMI works with a function of BASE, so that's the business energy and infrastructure uh, division of the government and they allocate funding for collaborative R&D, something not everyone might be aware of through a body called Innovate UK. So they're all quite exciting projects, uh, often focused on uh, electrification and reducing uh, carbon emissions. And that was that was what funded that fuel cell integration project. Mm-hmm. They also have a body called the APC. So I know Ian Constance has appeared on this podcast. And um, that that body allocated funding for larger projects so a lot more focused on um near to market sort of development for companies like ford and and jaguar etc jlr uh, and they were looking at developing sort of electrifying certain parts of their of their manufacturing so being really successful and i, I had the opportunity to work on those larger projects at HSMI, mine so i kept my teeth on showing that i could deliver those a big part of those projects was impressing these companies like Ford and JLR. So you had to, you had to show a lot of professionalism. What I found at HSMI is we were always working with people who were more experienced than us, at least in terms of years. Yeah. So it was really important to appear professional, to always be well turned out, prompt, um, answer any kind of request from them in a really sort of professional manner. And that's, and that's what sort of helped progress to that point
0: brilliant I'll so oh, go on sorry
1: no sorry you go
0: yeah so I was just gonna say um you know you worked you know when I was having a look through your profile you've worked with companies like JLR Ford LEVC um yeah. you know with these ventures with the APC uh what what was your you probably the favorite project that you worked on if you're able to go into detail on it while you were there
1: yeah so it, it it'd probably be two uh two or two or three if that if that's allowed so's yeah of course. probably probably one for one for each o e m so the the project i first started working on uh was the e prime project so i think i think this is still running or it it must just be at the point of wrapping up so this was with ford and it's looking at establishing a pilot line for electrification at their at their dunton facility and that was really exciting because that was a, a company like Ford, it's a very big transition for them moving over to electrification. Yeah. So prior to that project, I think they 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 hadn't done a huge amount. There was the Focus Electric, which was an electric Ford Focus, but it was very it was very basic, and they never sort of spent further money on developing that. Even though it came out at the same time as the Leaf, it just wasn't as well developed because it hadn't been built from the ground up. So it it was exciting to work with Ford. It was exciting to go and see the inner workings of everything they do so while when you do a mechanical engineering course and i think most engineering courses you're always taught that ford sort of set the set the stage for automotive engineering Mm -hmm. everyone knows that henry ford sort of established that high volume manufacturing engineering processes and the uh prior to sort of toyota but then becoming the innovator that ford led the way there so it was it was exciting to play a part in their sort of next next transition into into electric vehicles. Um, the project I was made a lead on um, was the uh, Perseus project. So that was working with Jaguar Land Rover and establishing uh, electric drive unit manufacturer. So that's EDU, um, also commonly known as like, the electric motor, although EDU does encompass more than just the electric motor. And that was working at the, uh, their site in Wolverhampton to transition elements of that over to making electromotors which is something they're still doing now so, so were, everyone's
0: sorry to interrupt were you, were you based up in wolverhampton for that project then
1: no so i i did i I did when i took on that program manager role i was leading all programs in hsmi midlands so hsmi had three sites um london the midlands and scotland and when i took on that role i commuted from london it was quite quite a nasty commute but again it was one of those <laughs> one of those sort of sacrifices i made for the for the role um uh i wasn't i wasn't prepared to move at that point um i was i was i was considering it if depending on on, on sort of the opportunities that were available but i had too much sort of tying me down to tying me down to london so i i commuted up to coventry and up to birmingham mm-hmm. from london sort of three four times a week so wow. quite yeah, <laughs> quite, quite an aggressive comedian schedule, but lost lost a bit of sleep to that. I must admit, but right. it was it was worth it. Again, it was just worth it of the role.
0: Brilliant. And um, what was the uh, the project that you worked? Did you work on a project with LevC as well?
1: I'm right? So... Yeah. So that was um, so all of these projects were when at various points in the APC sort of competition structure. So yeah. the uh, E Prime project was an APC eight project. So that's just the name of the competition. Mm-hmm. Um, they come in order so then LVC was an apc4 project so that had been running for a while and it sort of changed form but it's um end form was to develop their hybrid van that has since been released so that that project the was lcv is that um what? yeah it, w- it was called the lcv it's now they've given it a proper name it's called the vn5 i no. think so if anyone if anyone wants to look that up it's based on the it's based on the tx platform mm-hmm. but i know that's already doing doing good numbers and as it showed yeah. um yeah it's really good really good vehicle and it's sort of it's exactly what it's exactly what the uk needs in terms of making or establishing our own manufacturing and developing our own so i trying to re- regain some of that automated manufacturing base we've sort of lost to the lost to the rest of the world so yeah that 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 was a that, that's what was being developed on that project. And that was definitely the most sort of NDA heavy project as far as as you can imagine working with all of these firms being professional and sort of making sure that you don't speak out of turn about the project in other meetings, especially yeah. when you're working with Ford, working with JLR, working with LEVC, that when you work in a consultancy like that, you do have to you do have to sort of learn to silo all of those all of those projects and all of those communications so you don't they reveal anything you're not meant to
0: brilliant and so um you you joined this year in january empty power um yeah, right. so obviously there's quite a lot in the news about them at the moment but for for anybody that doesn't know can you give us a bit of an overview of, of who you guys are and what you do
1: yeah so empty power uh, was established in 2013 by uh, some kinetic Employees, so that's connects spell with the with a Q yeah. uh, defence firm. And they they recognized an opportunity having worked with a firm called AGM Batteries up in North Scotland. That, uh, they AGM Batteries previously was uh, a more traditional cylindrical cell manufacturing line. They used to make D cells for sort of military applications, um, etc. Up at the very north of Scotland, actually next to John of couldn't really be can really be any further uh from here and they and they saw where the lithium ion industry was going and saw where the electric vehicle industry was going and recognized an opportunity to expand and deliver to that market and create a domestic cell supply um so since then the the company's come on a long way again um agm batteries and empty power did make some good progress for you, those Innovate UK projects mm-hmm. I was describing. So definitely a common theme in electrification is um, is this support from bays and support from schemes like Innovate UK and like the APC and doing this collaborative um, research. And uh, now is in the position where uh, delivering to the automotive sector, aerospace sector, and energy storage sector. So... It's a combination of, of products, really. It's focusing on um, sort of high power density. So we have a, a power cell products, ultra high power cell mm-hmm. and the power cell, and they are they are both focused on, on on power density. What a lot of people will be used to when they look at lithium-ion batteries and when they look at electric vehicles is the pounds per kilowatt hour measure. And while that's a great way of sort of demonstrating how cheap a battery is, for a commodity cell so something you want to put into millions of electric vehicles if you're looking at something you want to be very power dense you need to sort of measure that measure that in a different way and and empty have developed a cell that is extremely well suited to hybrid applications sort of those 48 volt mild hybrid hybrid applications the kind um uk integrators such as such as avid are looking at Mm -hmm. and it's 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 delivering cells that then sort of enable the next generation of supercars and hypercars so the kind of batches you see going into like the mclaren p1 la ferrari 918 and that you're now seeing come more of interest to companies like rimac koenigsegg etc these are the these are the kind of firms that are are really sort of leading the way in with these electric vehicle supercars and hypercars um in terms of aerospace that cell um the e space so that's electric vertical takeoff and landing mm-hmm. so we see a lot of interest from that sector in our cells again where power density is 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 valued at a premium um and in energy storage we have a unique chemistry we've developed with uh, another company called fradian um which is looking at sodium ion cell technology so sodium iron is a uh, it's, it's built in a similar way to lithium-ion, but obviously uses sodium instead of lithium. And those cells are just inherently safer and then are, are a good a good choice for for um, energy storage. Brilliant. And there's,
0: there's been a lot in the news recently about uh, Ampty Power and British Vault um, joining forces to build a giga plant, I believe, in South Wales. Where, where's that up to? Or what, what can you tell us about that?
1: yeah so that's what that's one of the things my lips are fairly are fairly sealed on unfortunately (laughs) as far as um as 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 far as what we can say on that we signed an mou with british fault Mm -hmm. i think our aim there is really that amity recognizes the the electrification and the establishing of a battery sector within the uk is definitely a joint effort it's something that no company is going to achieve if we if we go alone if you look at the the situations in other sort of European countries, for example, like Germany and France, where they are starting to make some really good ground, establishing battery battery sectors there, is that there, there, it's massive collaboration. It's from the Chinese, Korean firms are getting involved, Germans are getting involved, German government's putting in a lot of support. There's a lot of joint ventures with automotive firms. Um, so, and I think in the UK, um, we recognise that, working with companies like British for, to support um, the development of their gigafactories and lend our expertise where we can is only going to benefit the industry more widely. Brilliant.
0: Okay. And um, so when you joined Ampty Power, then let's actually talk about what you've been doing there. <laughs> um, so you, you joined initially as a technical sales manager. Um, I know you're in that role quite quite a short period of time before moving into your current position as head of aerospace and automotive. So first of all, what were you doing in the technical sales manager role and, and how come you was only in it so short and moved into this new position?
1: Yeah. So when I, when I joined Empty, um they, as, as I said, they, they'd been applying for Innovate UK funding and they were, they were simultaneously looking for someone to go in for more funding, but also someone with the knowledge of the industry to start to develop some of those relationships with those automotive firms mm-hmm. so i was kind of perfectly suited for that role because not only had i done a lot of grant funded bids at hsmi applying to innovate uk and the apc i'd run quite a few of those projects so normally you'd you would have had a lot more experience prior to running them but hsmi was a unique in the sense that it sort of fast-tracked me in that sense so they i think they saw potential there to help them with that grant funding and also all that experience I had with electric, uh, with firms looking to move to electrification, like LVC, Ford, and JLR. Those are exactly the kind of firms that Empty uh, Power are keen to, keen to work with and supply sales to. So I, I came with an understanding, not only of how battery pack's put together from my time at Potenza, and understanding what it's like as an integrator, but also understanding what the automotive OEMs wanted. So then, it was almost completing the completing the picture to then go and work at the actual cell manufacturer, mm-hmm. and then and then help them develop their product. Um, so, I think I think that's why I was why I did well and and sort of did, did well in the interview for that for that role. And then I, I helped lead their grant funded programs and develop these relationships in the automotive and aerospace sector. I would say in in the electrification sector it's quite a it's quite a small industry because obviously compared to the wider automotive sector where there are hundreds of thousands of people working there, the, 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 the EV sector is, is a lot smaller and the yeah. I'd already built up quite a network there. So knowing, knowing people from various organizations and various companies and that definitely helps moving into this helped moving into this role because I've been able to reach out to the right people to promote sort of what empty power is doing, promote the benefits of our, ourselves and the exciting opportunity we've got um with with Bridgefall and with our own um, large-scale manufacturing plant which we're looking to establish uh so sort of by end of 2022 so that's our that's definitely one of our current focuses brilliant and
0: and so in your current role now then from moving from the technical sales role into head of aerospace and automotive is that still fairly similar responsibilities with a different title or, or what's the difference in in that role
1: yeah, so in, initially, it, initially it's been similar responsibilities, but Amtipower Power is expanding very, very rapidly. So what I've, what I've already been starting to do is sort of transition away from that grant-funded and bid manager work, um, which I'll still keep a hand in, but it'll be from a more strategic point of view, going through the process of sort of writing all the bids. It's very intensive and putting together the consortiums. Um, I'll likely hand over to a bid manager, and the idea is that I'll move into a more I think a more senior position, um, sort of one below senior management at this point, and then help develop AMTI's automotive strategy. So, from all the roles that I've done up to this point, as I've described, it's been a, a fairly perfect sort of small um, and, and quite a short timescale, covering all aspects of the electric vehicle industry. So, I'm kind of ideally placed to develop our develop our strategy for how how we deliver sales to these. To these firms in both in both the automotive and aerospace sectors, so that's what I'll be doing moving forward.
0: And you know, you, you've mentioned a couple of times there that in terms of throughout your career, and realistically for what you've achieved so far, it's been over a very short period of time. But yeah. you've worked in all different areas, you know, within the field of electric vehicles in terms of the batteries and, um, you know, lithium iron, hydrogen. That you know, you, you've mentioned a lot of different areas there. Was it was it always your plan that, or is it something that just naturally happened that you've moved around to these different companies and and experienced all the different e- sides of the process?
1: No, it's definitely it's definitely something I've done by having to be quite pragmatic. For example, I could have I could have stayed at Potenza. I wasn't I wasn't asked to leave. I sort of recognise that I've always had um quite a focus on I've uh, always a loyalty to the companies I've worked at as far as finishing whatever project I'm working on. But also at the same time realizing that best thing I can do is sort of develop as an engineer and the best way that i'm gonna i'm gonna deliver is to is to constantly go and find find new challenges when I see that the existing one I'm working on is sort of wrapping up so as I said at potenza when I saw that they were then moving back away from production that I realized there was sort of time to go and seek a seek a new challenge in in that role at hSMI and it, at the same time, I was doing stuff like, um, so for example, for the IMechE. Um, I'm an incorporated engineer, so achieve that in the in sort of the minimum amount of time you could do. And the way I managed to cover those those competencies. So anyone familiar with engineering council bodies and who's who's gone through the application process to those to those memberships will know that it's you have to show sort of both technical and leadership and sort of ethical experience over those roles and I think I think knowing what the IMFE sort of expected from me as an engineer and as an incorporated engineer and that's what I was working towards I think that helped me realize doing those reviews and looking at my competencies and where I had strengths and weaknesses I saw that okay I've done this work but what I really need to do to to work towards that incorporated engineer title is to is to develop myself in these areas and I think that definitely played a part in steering where I went. It gave some guidance and a bit of framework to to what I was doing. So I would definitely recommend that to any sort of junior and graduate engineers. Is to is to once once you're once you've got an idea of where you want to go, is look at the engineering body that's sort of behind that, and then and then look at their framework and see what you need to do to fit into that. It definitely definitely helped me and helped steer me in, in where I was going. Mm.
0: I think you know what's quite interesting is you've got um you know you're very much focused on the EV market so it's almost like a niche within the industry at the moment obviously yeah. it's going to explode into being the main industry over the next 10 20 years sure. um but you know it, it's weird that you've got this defined niche in terms of what you do but then within that niche you're quite a generalist do you think that's that's helps you in terms of being able to progress quickly or would you recommend people focus on a very specific niche or what do you think the best advice for somebody looking to get into the industry would be in terms of being successful like yourself?
1: I think it it depends where where you want to go. I think there's definitely a decision when you go into engineering. Do you want to go for one of the larger firms like JLR or Ford or LEVC? Do you want to go on their graduate programs where you are rotated around the business? You do receive, a good wage, good benefits, fairly, relatively secure job, perhaps not at the moment, but then nothing secure with, with, with Corona, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, Um, didn't want to say the C word, but, um, (laughs) and that, and, and that has its own benefits and it's negatives as in the progression just definitely isn't as quick as if you go to work at SME. So if you were going to work at one of those larger firms, it definitely would make sense to, for example, focus on, At the moment in the electric vehicle industry, you really get the option to focus on batteries and become sort of like a battery expert, sort of inverted commas, or electric motors, and then focus on those electric motors and electric drive units, and then form some expertise there, or looking at control systems. So looking at the BMS, which is the battery management system, Um, also now looking at stuff like the BTMS, sort of death by acronyms, definitely in the electric vehicle industry. (laughs) Uh, the battery thermal management system, um, and, and, they, and and with them in in terms of the roles you end up doing for the they end up quite different. So I would say in in the in battery engineering it's a lot of CAD work, probably the same in um, electric motors initially before you then move on to production. Whereas something like looking at the BMS and the control systems, it's definitely a lot more programming using software like MATLAB and Simulink, and a lot more of that that systems engineering stuff so I'd say if you want to work at a larger firm it makes sense to specialize because you'll become of more value to them if you want to work at SMEs and if you want to have that freedom to sort of move around and try new things as I have um, and I think it exposes you to a lot more in the industry it is it is better to have an understanding of how of how each of those of those parts of the industry works.
0: Brilliant. That's great advice, really, to be fair. Um, Right, in terms of um, the electric vehicle world at the moment, then one of the biggest challenges that we're facing in automotive, not just in the UK, but globally, is the infrastructure to power vehicles in the future. Um, What do you think the solution is, or how do you think we can overcome that realistically?
1: Say the infrastructure is in the sort of the charging.
0: Yeah, all that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so I I think it's always a legislation thing. I think one thing... One thing I've found, having sort of been following the industry since since twenty ten, as I said, with that EPQ, is that you can almost draw a, a pretty direct correlation between when the government brings in a CAT legislation or brings in another kind of legislation, and it's effectively the automotive industry is like any other industry, commercial industry, and it's that money talks, and that when you start to put these these fines and taxes in place. Companies will try and get around it, like we saw with Volkswagen and Dieselgate, but ultimately they'll have to they'll have to conform. So I think I think government needs to do more to encourage sort of local councils and areas to just install this infrastructure, sort of on the on the curb side. Um I think it's also going to require a bit of behavioural change for the consumers buying these electric vehicles. So I think at the moment a misconception is that everyone everyone assumes that they'll only be able to charge their electric vehicle as they top up their car. So no one is sat at home with their petrol car plugged into the wall just being topped up with petrol overnight. That's not a situation that anyone's familiar with or a behavior that anyone who doesn't own an electric vehicle has. But with electric vehicles, you can almost treat them more like a like a mobile phone in the sense that all of us go to sleep and put our phones on charge mm-hmm. in the same way that you go to sleep and you just plug your car in. And that doesn't require a, a very high power in terms of kilowatts. So I think this this sort of obsession with ultra fast charging is is definitely being driven by oil and gas. And it's being driven by the guys who want to keep people in their forecourts. And they can see that people aren't going to be coming and, and putting petrols in the, petrol in their car anymore and they're they're the closest thing to that these big ultra fast charging systems but they're so expensive and as people have seen when you look at these systems the cables are sort of uh, wider than our heads at this point when you're going up to these really high kilowatt figures and it's just the cost is just so high that it it really it's not i don't think it's feasible to roll that out for for everyone so i think it it requires people to get more used to charging at home. Charging at work is going to be a big thing as well. I think that it's an employer's duty. I think it would be good to bring in some sort of legislation that said that businesses, or at least provide them funded support to install chargers in their car parks so that then everyone is just used to charging their car where they leave it rather than having to go out of the way. And then that helps reduce the like range anxiety. It means you don't need these massive batteries. I don't think anyone really needs a pack bigger than 60 kilowatt hours mm-hmm. and that uh, we see these 180, 100 kilowatt hour packs and I think they're a bit excessive and not particularly green. It's not it's not very sustainable to have that like yeah. many batteries in a car and then to have to haul that weight around, which <laughs> is, as everyone knows with electric vehicles, is you're trying to reduce that weight. So it's all quite quite counterproductive.
0: And in terms of like the like skills within the industry obviously there's not lots of new roles coming into the automotive industry because of electric vehicles yeah. um do you, do you think that potentially could it could hold us back a skill shortage over the next maybe 10 years with you know roles that have never actually been within the industry before and we'll have to take from other industries or rely on you know younger people like yourself coming coming into the uh, coming into the industry who maybe don't have the experience that you get from somebody that you, like you say, has worked at Ford for 30 years who knows something inside out. I mean, how do you think that will affect the industry?
1: Yeah, I think it's definitely one of the main challenges in terms of establishing an electric vehicle industry within the UK. Um, It's interesting you mentioned it. One of the things I worked on at HSMI as part of the, it was actually part of that E-Prime project, the Ford APC project, was to develop an electric vehicle training scheme so I developed that um with a colleague and with our with our commercial director at the time Uh, it's called electric vehicle powertrain school I think it's something HSMI still run and the idea from that was that a lot of the firms we were working with on those R&D projects they had a lot of very willing and capable engineers but they just had no internal training capacity Mm -hmm. and there was no training available so all of these guys would learn about say for example at JLR they would learn about one very small aspect of the electric motor as it was related to what they were doing on the internal combustion engine line. But no one was giving them an overview of how electric vehicles worked. Yeah. And what that really what that really did was it sort of stymied the the transition of people from traditional internal combustion engine sort of roles over to electric vehicles because they're sort of scared of what they didn't know and that people were unwilling to transfer across so I think I think one of the one of the views on the skill shortage is that what I noticed with that course was that so we we managed to get that CPD accredited um so that that was that was valuable so that meant any engineers that did that had CPD points continuous professional development points from from joining that course and myself and my colleague were Robin were both trained as trainers so we took train the trainer courses Learned how to deliver these workshops and actually went and did some really interesting training, traveling up to Sunderland to, the, to deliver training to electric vehicle manufacturing engineers up there. You can imagine which plant that was yeah. and to, to a few other, other facilities and companies we were working for. Um, so I think there are people who have very transferable skills. I just don't think there's enough investment being made into the actual schemes. Um, and enough money being put aside. I think um, there's a lot of very, yeah, as I said, transferable skills and a lot of the things people are doing currently are very similar to to existing. So for example, anyone who does any level of welding um, within an automotive com- company currently, there's a lot of welding in the battery space and it's a space there's a lot of development. So transferring those people over shouldn't be too great a task. They just need to be taught around the specifics of Bus bars and batteries, and then for it's the same in the electric motor side of things there's a lot of people are experiencing crankshafts and pistons, and that's very transferable over to electric drive units so i think I think the skill shortage is there, but I think it's more that there's a lack of training that then there's a lack of people who want to do it yeah I know that everyone can see where the market is going, and I imagine. Mace automotive Engineers, unless they're sort of eyeing up retirement in a year or two, would want to be brought up to speed with this new technology. Um, Yeah.
0: Brilliant. Okay, and for my final question then, um, if you could give one piece of advice to any young engineer out there that's looking to forge a career in the electric vehicle market, they take it on board and implement it, what piece of advice would you give to them?
1: So I would say... I would say do some background research. So I found that there were some really valuable tools online. For example, there's um initially just to get your to get to get your interest going, there are quite a few podcasts. Um not including this one, of course. There's also, for example, um Ryan's pro- podcast, the Avid Avid Podcast, and also there are YouTube shows like Fully Charged. And I think really watch these shows get up to speed with the industry and then you you realize from watching those shows whether you have an enthusiasm for it and shows like fully charged are really good because they cover the full scope of of the industry they cover a lot of different parts of that sector mm-hmm. electromotors batteries vehicles different parts of that and i think as a young engineer watching those you'll see where you'll see what excites you the most like there's no way me or you could tell someone what what in particular they should look at but if they go and look at use that resource And then that make and then do further research off the back of that. And then when you go into these interviews and you're and you've got that in the back of your mind going for university, it's just a lot easier to direct everything you want to do when you've got an idea of what industry you want to go in. So that would be, I think that would be my advice. It would be use the use the tools that are online or the free free learning tools to get up to speed with the with the industry, and then. Um, yeah good luck to anyone going into it we need we need more engineers in the in the space and Amtipower will definitely be be looking to hire them as well so um, yeah
0: great fantastic well thanks a lot for joining me today Fergal I've I've really enjoyed it
1: yeah you too Eddie thanks a lot for, uh, for the opportunity to see you cheers thanks a lot
0: thank you for listening to this episode of careers in automotive If you've enjoyed this episode or enjoy the series, please could I ask you to leave a review of the podcast and also like and share it with anybody that may be interested. This will just help me read the widest audience possible. Thank you very much.